This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, February the 16th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go! off the ceiling with that go. That's going to tell you what kind of Thursday show it's going to be. Or I can tell you more. Coming up on the show today, Liana Genovese from... There's a lot of noise in the world of investing and savings. So how do you develop a strategy to build a savings plan? Certified financial planner Ryan Chin will offer some advice. And Don Dickinson discusses unionizing efforts by some Starbucks employees in her preview of Voices of the Walrus. Lots more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours. But let's begin with the top story of the day. RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky is stepping down. Emily Javesky has the story. In a statement, Lucky says it's not an easy decision to leave, as she has loved being the storied organization's 24th commissioner. Lucky took over an organization that had become mired in internal dissension over long-standing issues of bullying and harassment. She says she's proud of the steps taken during her tenure to modernize the RCMP through increased accountability and measures to address systemic racism. Lucky says she knows this work will continue after her last day on March 17th. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press. Justice Minister David Lametti says Lucky did make some progress in reforming the force. Certainly it was a historic appointment and, and I know that, that uh, she made efforts to reform the RCMP and to even address some of the issues that we're talking about today. So uh, a historic first step and, uh, and, and again she deserves to be thanked for her service. New Democrat MP Peter Julian says the government needs to appoint someone who will go further in grappling with systemic issues in the force. And the federal government needs to take good care to ensure that the next commissioner that steps up deals with these issues, these issues of systemic racism that have been raised around the RCMP, the accountability and the transparency of the RCMP to the Canadian public, something that the next commissioner must deal with. Lucky's last day is March 17th. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau continues to meet with Caribbean leaders in the Bahamas today. The issue of security in Haiti remains top of mind. Some Haitian leaders have called for foreign military intervention. Canada's, Canada's ambassador to the UN, Bob Ray, thinks that any sustainable solution has to be made by Haitian leaders. We're saying to Prime Minister Henri and we're saying to all other leaders, you've got to get together, you've got to create a path that leads to uh, an election, but it also leads to strengthening all of the institutions that make up a democratic society. Sébastien Carrière is Canada's ambassador to Haiti. Carrière says collaboration is critical. It's really hard to um, start tackling the security problem seriously uh, if there's a feeling that it's just one faction of the political class uh, that's, that's going in that direction. Caribbean leaders have also been discussing issues related to climate change. And speaking of climate, the waters of New England have reached a record high temperature. Jackie Quinn takes a closer look. The Gulf of Maine, which stretches from Massachusetts to Canada, recorded an average temperature of 53.66 degrees. It's the second highest reading on record and nearly four degrees above the average. New England is home to rare whales and it supports most of the U.S. lobster industry. The Gulf of Maine Research Institute says the accelerated warming is changing the ecosystem, driving some species associated with southern waters up into New England, altering the food chain. The highest sea surface temperature in the Gulf of Maine occurred in 2021 with 54 degrees. 
I'm Jackie Quinn. That's your look at the news. How about a dose of daily polls for you? At Accessible Media is where you find them on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find them on Facebook. On Wednesday, you were asked, with prices going up and policies changing, will you cancel some of your subscriptions for streaming services? 24% of you said yes, 38% of you said no, and 38% of you said I already have. John writes in, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, yes. Netflix is under the microscope. Look out, Netflix. John's coming for you. Today's daily poll, somewhat inspired by the fact that former Toronto Mayor John Tory handed in his letter of resignation last night, planning to step away on Friday from the job. It's made me curious with this job opening in Toronto politics. If you were a politician, which of these jobs would you most want? Do you want to be the Prime Minister? Do you want to be a premier? Do you want to be a mayor? Or do you want to be none of the above? At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. I'm sure if you were extra power hungry, you might think, okay, being prime minister, that's a dope job. I'm the top of the food chain in Canada. You might underestimate just how much power a premier has in regards to direct policy. In the case of Ontario, the cities, the municipalities are pretty much under the thumb of premiers in the province. Premiers hold a lot of power, a lot of sway over cities, even though mayors are the people who tend to take the uh, the abuse from local media. So premier holds a lot of power on health policy, energy policy, a lot of justice policy. There's a lot that goes on under the provincial auspices that has a lot of direct impact on people's lives. So if you're very power hungry, I feel like premier is the place to go. However, if you want to get a bunch of free dinners, the mayor lets you show up to a bunch of galas. You can eat a bunch of rubber chicken dinners. You can wear a suit. You can glad hand. I feel like if you're a social butterfly, that's where mayor comes into play. A lot of free dinners as mayor, you know, courting public opinion, being present like former Ottawa mayor Jim Watson, who used to go to over 250 events a year, over 250 public events a year for the mayor. Busy man, a lot of dinners out on the road. I personally wouldn't like that. I think Premier is the sweet spot for me. That's what I would want to be. Alex Smythe, who would you want to be? Yeah, Dave, I'm kind of tied between the Mayor and the Premier just because I guess you look at what, I mean, John Tory has always been under the microscope and, you know, rightfully so. He was the mayor of the largest city in Ontario and and in Canada overall. So there, there was always a lot of scrutiny there. I think for me personally, I like the freedom that being mayor offers because you are not tied to any political party specifically. Whereas if you're a premier, you're always tied to your political party. And there's pros and cons to that. I, I think when you are a mayor, even though you have less power, you are beholden to whoever is the premier, there is a more independent viewpoint you can take. It's more a personalized approach and you can kind of uh, dictate in your own way how you want to really impact the community you serve. Would I want to be mayor of Toronto? No. I, I think I would like to do a medium to small size city. Yeah, not, not anything ma mayor, too, too large. Mayor of, mayor of Kingston. Like now we're talking. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you have enough influence. There, there's enough work you can do, but you're not basically being bombarded every single day trying to, uh, you know, represent and be beholden to millions yeah, of people yeah, when your, your power is quite limited. The mayor Even, of Kelowna. You know, the mayor of Kelowna. The mayor of Lethbridge. Yeah. Yeah, Burlington, you know, hey, it's yeah. a local for too me. Close, like, too I, close to I think that is a pretty sweet, sweet spot to be in. Premier, there are the benefits. There's a lot of power, as you say. And I I just think, though, there's oftentimes you, we, we've seen with Doug Ford over the last few years, it's there's, there's a lot of pressures coming from all different factors. He's done quite a job to push a lot of the, the focus onto some of the different cabinet ministers when it's he wants the spotlight off of him. So there is that uh, um, angle you can approach it to, but I, I, I would never want to approach it that way. So I think mayor is probably where I want to be. 
I think that's a reasonable point. I like that you identified that the medium-sized city or the smaller city might be the way to go if you want to be a mayor. Maybe not uh, the king of the king pile, but the king of the crud pile sometimes uh, goes a long way. I still say premier is the way to go. That's where you can really flex. So premier, I'm voting premier. Alex is voting mayor. How are you voting? At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, feedback at ami.ca. Feedback at ami.ca is the email address, or you can pick up the phone 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. If you were a politician, which of these jobs would you want most? Prime Minister, Premier, Mayor, or none of the above? Maybe the political life is not the life for you. Let's go back to Alex. He has the national weather updates. Here is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We're starting off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where it's mainly cloudy with snow or rain expected this afternoon. There's also wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour. The high is 1 degrees, but with the wind chill, it's minus 12. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, there's clouds this morning, but that's clearing up, and the high is going to be 12 degrees today. In Montreal, Quebec, it's a mix of sun and clouds with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour, and the high is 2 degrees. In Ottawa, Ontario, it's cloudy today. The high is minus 2, and there is a slight wind chill that makes it feel like minus 6. Here in Toronto, Ontario, it's cloudy with a chance of rain this afternoon, and the high is 2 degrees. In Thunder Bay, Ontario, it's mainly sunny today, but cooler. The high is minus 10, feeling like minus 25. In Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's also sunny, but also quite cold. The high is minus 17, but with that wind chill, makes it feel like minus 34. In Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, similar conditions. It's a mix of sun and clouds today. The sun is peeking through. The high is minus five, but again, with that wind chill, makes it feel like minus 31. Over to Calgary, Alberta, where it's a mix of sun and clouds as well, a bit warmer. The high is five degrees, but with the wind chill, makes it feel like minus seven today. And in Edmonton, it's a mix of sun and clouds, but there's also a chance of snow this afternoon. The high is four degrees, but with the wind chill, it makes it feel like minus 10. Up in Yellowknife Northwest Territories, it is cloudy with periods of snow throughout the day. Up to two centimeters is expected to fall. Very cold though, the highest minus 25, feeling like minus 40 with that wind chill. In Vancouver, BC, it is cloudy with rain expected later on in the day, and the high is six degrees for Vancouver. And then finally, over to Victoria, similar conditions. It's cloudy with a chance of rain in the afternoon, and the high is also six degrees. That's our AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Coming up next, Liana Jonavis tells you about guided hands, a new assistive device from Imaginable Solutions. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Assistive devices can have a real impact on people's lives. There's a new one called Guided Hands from Imaginable Solutions. Liana Genovese is the founder of Imaginable Solutions and can tell you more. Hey, good morning, Liana. Thank you for making time to be on the show today. Hi, Dave. Thank you so much for having me. So what is the core purpose of Guided Hands? What's the barrier it's meant to solve? Yeah, so Guided Hands is designed for people experiencing limited hand mobility. So for those who experience spasticity in the hand, curling of the fingers, hand and arm weakness, or just the inability to hold and control objects. And I initially created Guided Hands for a friend of mine with cerebral palsy who loved to paint but she wasn't able to hold onto a paintbrush because of her mobility in her hands. So I created Guided Hands, which is an assistive device that enables people with limited hand mobility to write, paint, 
withdraw and access technology through touchscreen devices. So our mission behind Guided Hands is to really improve quality of life through promoting communication, self-expression, and independence. And that's my friend Jeff there who has cerebral palsy and is nonverbal. And uh, he had a lot of fun with Guided Hands. <laughs> uh, how does it work? How does it offer some of that stability and some of that guiding for hands? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a mechanical device. So it has a so it has a sliding system that promotes guided hand movements as a user holds a handpiece tailored to their level of hand impairment. So we have different handpieces designed for individuals who are able to grasp onto objects, who experience that spasticity in the hand, and it holds the writing utensil for the individuals. So these individuals experience, again, a lot of weakness and spasticity in the hand. So it's very difficult for them to hold and control writing utensils. So guided hands holds the writing utensil for the individual. And then that sliding system promotes the use of the gross motors in the, in the shoulder rather than using the fine motor skills in hand. So that's essentially how guided hands works. Um, there's no electrical components. It's purely mechanical. Um, anyone could just pick it up and use it. How adaptable is it? How much freedom does a user have to customize it to their own need? Yeah, so really the, the most adaptable part of Guided Hands are the hand pieces. So we've been selling Guided Hands to hospitals, rehabilitation centers, where occupational therapists see a wide range of people of all ages and different abilities. So the hand pieces are adaptable and you can swap them in and out based on the level of mobility of the individual. And there's different sizes as well. You mentioned, the, oh, sorry, pardon me. Oh, no worries. And I was just going to add that our utensil holder can hold a paintbrush, a stylus for tablet applications, a marker, pencil, whatever the individual would like to do. You mentioned the idea was inspired uh, by your friend Jeff. How much consultation did you do in the development of Guided Hands? Oh, a lot. Um, so my background's in biomedical engineering and Guided Hands, it's, it's human-centered design. And it's, it's so important to work side by side with these individuals to really ensure that our product is meeting their needs and creating something that really adds value to them. So we've tested Guided Hands with over 450 neurologists, occupational therapists, and people with disabilities like Jeff um, to ensure that you know, guided hands can really meet their needs and, and improve their quality of life. And what's the feedback been like since it hit the market? It's been awesome. Um, just seeing Jeff's reaction, even in this video, is just so rewarding. And it's amazing to see that we created something that could really impact someone's life. Um, again, it's being used with a lot of occupational therapists in hospitals and rehab centers where patients are actually using it as part of their rehab, um, especially people with spinal cord injuries who want to get back into writing and doing activities that really promote the use of their hand in that range of motion. Zooming out to the work that Imaginable Solutions does more broadly. It's described as a social impact company. How do you want your products to make a difference? Well, just even on the day-to-day, -day, making a difference in enabling students in school to use Guided Hands as a learning tool to help them with their education, to really move away from the hand-over-hand -hand activities and promoting that independence and confidence. Uh, for older adults, we, we love seeing individuals use it in nursing homes as part of their, as part of their recreation. Uh, and then for adults using it as um, a, a tool that they can use when they're recovering from injury during work, getting back to, you know, using the computer, their phone, or tablets. Um, so really just helping people of all ages and getting back to activities that were maybe tricky before or something new that they want to learn and pick up. Certainly this conversation is about the work you've done in developing guided hands, but now that you've had this level of success with this product, what's the next gap in accessibility that you want to address? I, I don't mean to sound like a toddler here being like, what's next? What's next? What's next? But what are some of the other things that you're looking at? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, there's there's so many things. And I think disability innovation is so important and we should really be focusing on it. Again, my background's in biomedical engineering and I we're just actually we're in the middle of putting together an occupational therapist, assistive technologist, and people with disabilities group to meet every month and identify other challenges that people are experiencing in our community and see what we can do to innovate towards a solution for them. So Right now, we are in the midst of creating a, a 
uh, version of guided hands that can actually integrate stabilization to help people with tremors, mm. um, more more so dampening the effects of their their hand movements. Um, but again, we're just trying to listen to our community and see how we can innovate to to help them. You mentioned that your educational background somewhat led you into this field, but was there an aha moment that you had or was there something that particularly catalyzed you to move into this particular side of the field in developing assistive devices? Um, yeah, so I mentioned that this was actually, or maybe I didn't mention it. Um, this was actually my first year school project while studying biomedical engineering at McMaster University. So we were actually introduced to a woman with cerebral palsy and the project was talk to her and design her something that could improve her life or just make it better. So she mentioned that she had difficulties with doing the buttons on her shirt, using cooking utensils, writing utensils. But the one thing that really stood out to me was that she loved painting. But as her condition progressed, she wasn't able to hold on to a paintbrush anymore. So I created the first prototype of Got It Hands to help her paint. And that really introduced me to the world of assistive technology and accessibility. And I just fell in love with it. And I wanted to see how many others I could help. And I started introducing guided hands to more people. And I eventually had a little girl use it. And she turned to her mom and said, Mom, I want one. And then the mom turned to me and asked, how much is it? And at that point, thumb selling this never crossed my mind. And I knew that I created something that could impact someone's life. So a week later, I created our company, Imaginable Solutions. Oh, wow, incredible. Uh, you mentioned there's a lot of excitement going on, plenty more consultation and developments. You may have perked a couple eardrums here in this conversation. Where should someone go to learn more about Imaginable Solutions or Guided Hands more specifically? Yeah, so you can visit us on our website, www.imaginablesolutions.ca or .com. And we're always looking for individuals to test Guided Hands, give us feedback, um, just so that we can make it as accessible as possible for everyone. And we're actively selling our product on our website right now. And we're like Amazon, we ship in one day. So we just <laughs> want to make sure that everyone has a guided hands. Liana, this is incredible. Congratulations to you and your colleagues for the work that you're doing here. Let's stay in touch and best of luck as you continue to think up great ideas here. Thank you so much for having me again. That's Liana Genovese, the founder of Imaginable Solutions, joining you from Hamilton, Ontario. Coming up after the break, how do you build a good savings plan? How do you invest around a lot of the noise that exists in the world? Well, certified financial planner Ryan Chin will offer up a few tips on that. But first, speaking of money, here is Canadian Press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index logged a minor gain yesterday. Toronto's TSX index adding 15 points to close at 20,720. New York's Dow Jones average gained 38 points and the Nasdaq surged 110. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gained 194 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning a little higher at 74.77 cents US. Barclays PLC, once a major oil sands funder, says it will no longer provide financing to the industry. The London-based bank policy update released yesterday formalizes the ban that also excludes the financing of new oil sands pipelines. Between 2016 and 21, the bank provided $4.3 billion U.S. to oil sands companies. Canada's TD Bank Group and RBC were by far the largest funders in that period, each providing the sector more than $27 billion in financing. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Ribot. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Economic times are tough, but just because money is tight doesn't mean you can't build a savings plan. A good plan takes some strategy. But where do you even begin to start developing that strategy? Ryan Chin is a certified financial planner, and Ryan can offer some perspective on this. Hey, good morning, Ryan. Hey, good morning, Dave. How are you today? I'm well. Nice to chat with you. Always like talking about money. Ryan, there's a lot of chatter and noise out there when people consider how to save money. To borrow an expression from the musical world, what makes up that wall of noise? Yeah, well, you know what? We are 
inundated regularly with these sound bites uh, of of information, whether it's through the radio, we're hearing uh, you know these market updates. We're hearing we're we're getting uh, bits of, of of chatter through the news where they're talking about inflation is going out of the crate uh, out of the roof and <laughs> interest rates are coming up and you know when's the recession going to happen? We're hearing a lot of these different sound bites and today in in our sort of i'll say our 24-hour news cycle but our easy access to you know i'll use the air quotes global media we're hearing bits and pieces from all parts of the world and unless you're truly aware i mean this it really kind of conflates itself it gets together and and it's tough to understand why are they talking about canada talking about us are they talking about europe you know and so that's kind of that's where the noise is is really very distracting because we don't know what the heck is going on yeah yeah and so much of it ends up being projecting right there's people sort of saying the looming recession every news report about anything in the economy ends with and the looming recession being projected which like by the way it's reasonable to have that conversation in good faith but as a tagline it's so disingenuous truly because everyone because so recessions are good for the economy and bad for the economy the, so so what you know what we have to understand is you know where are we in the cycle to truly appreciate you know is it going to be a soft landing is it going to be a hard landing is it going to be a no landing you know all of these little sound bites that we hear and you know creates i'll say a bit of fear uh, so as an investor or someone who's just new to the whole system, you don't know what to do yeah. because it, it's just all this noise. Yeah, along those lines, Ryan, I think about how saving and investing is presented on social media beyond just mass media or corporate media in a similar way to how health and fitness is presented on social media. The goals are oftentimes so big that, that they're almost unattainable is there so much noise that it actually might discourage someone from even getting started with a savings plan yeah that's a great point dave i mean when you think about it and you're hearing about the i mean because the news broadcasters are focused on on the big the big investors you know elon musk and his <laughs> billions of dollars and you know the the jeff bezos of the world uh, with their his billions of dollars and you know uh, market swings and we're, we're sort of getting the you know twitter with 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 its its uh its algorithm pushing different uh media uh, uh outlets to you you know we're, we're sort of inundated with this we're hearing about all these large numbers and we think to ourselves there's no way i can compete I I don't have a billion. How am I going to become a millionaire? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm just I just I don't. Where do I even get started? And and it truly is discouraging. It's kind of like you know when you go to the gym and you've got that really fit fitness trainer standing in front of you and that individual saying, "No problem, you can uh, you can run this 12 kilometer run." And you're you know you're thinking to yourself, "Yeah, I could go for a donut right about now." <laughs> can you feed me a donut as I'm on the elliptical? Can you know? Can we? Can we meet? But can we meet in the middle here? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so, Ryan, for somebody who's getting started, what are some questions that someone should ask themselves or their financial advisor or certified yeah. financial planner before they even commit a single dollar to an account or an investment? Yeah, and that, and that's a great question. And, and the thing is, uh, uh, Dave, to, you know, you, you've got to figure out your goals. And I mean, first and foremost, the most important thing is what do you want out of the opportunity? You know, um, where is it that you want to go? And, and and what is it that you want to to uh, to achieve getting into this to to a, to a saving strategy or developing a, a financial plan? Now, you know, when you know, there are many people who know that they can do it themselves and they love to do that self, uh, 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 self-directed yeah, investing and they that's can me. research. Yep. And, and that's certainly great. And, I, and there are lots of tools out there to help you do that. But please, I encourage you, if that's the way you want to go, put in the time, learn about what you're doing. Don't just let a, a robo-advisor guide your path without challenging that technology. Conversely, 
if you want to have the advice of a uh, of a planner or an advisor, certainly uh, they're out there. Whether you choose, uh, you know, a house like Sun Life Financial, uh, where I am, uh, <laughs> or you um, uh, uh, choose another another uh, investment institution, make sure you get to know the advisor. Talk to them understand where the, their goals are and and make sure that they understand your goals you got to interview these folks mm. it's not it's not just like walk in and that person across the desk is going to mesh exactly with you talk to them fun just make a friend and if that person you feel trust uh and you feel that they have your best uh, interest at heart, then that would be the right person to sit down to help you uh, flush out your goals and create that long-term plan. Ryan, I love that you used the word goal there because goals are so important. You need to know what you're striving for if you want to get somewhere, no matter what that is in life, whether it's career, finances, health, fitness, take your pick, right? You need to have goals. I also think that habits are important, that once you've established a goal, you have to understand the habit. Now, I don't want you to give away everything here because we do want people to reach out to you and say, hey, Ryan, I want to get your professional advice. I want them to work with you professionally. But if you wanted to give one or two away here, what's a good healthy savings habit? Well, I'll tell you, Dave, the, uh, the big one that uh, it's not a secret, you know, there's always that fun 80-20 rule where, you know, if you took 80% of your income as your lifestyle expenses, habitual expenses, your fixed expenses, and that took 10, 20% of that uh, income and directed it towards your savings, you'll never miss. And, um, you know, it's important, though, when you are directing those savings that you are using savings vehicles, um, you know, to, to uh, you know, use the term, don't just go and and put the money in an account blindly understand what you're doing understand how that investment is going to meet your uh, objectives um, by truly creating an investor profile and understanding what it is that you want to achieve through that investment Mm. Uh, Ryan, the stakes are always high when it comes to talking about money and personal finance. You and I dove into that a little bit the last time that we spoke on the air. But in an era where interest rates are higher, how important is it that people are extra conscious about how their money's working for them? Yeah, Dave, I mean, that is the most important thing as we see it today because we've got increasing interest rates uh, where, you know, it costs more money to borrow money. And we've got, you know, some market concerns where uh, the equities uh, uh, and bond markets are not performing as historic uh, values. They're, they're a little lower. So if you're not earning as much on, on, the, on the investment side, but yet you're putting more money out on the interest and loan side, then, you know, you really got to be aware what's coming in, what's going out. And that is the importance of working with a, whether it be a certified financial planner, an advisor, you know, whether you choose a, 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 a you know, investment institution like a Sun Life or, or anywhere that you are most comfortable, that is, that's, that's the important thing. You, you have to be aware and you have to uh, understand what, what, what your boundaries are. Mm. Ryan, if you'll allow me to put that in like some tangible terms or real world terms, the way that I sort of frame this question is that for basically 14, 15 years, interest rates were low, which meant that if you put your money in a savings account, the savings account was quite low in terms of the in terms of what you got back. And it seems, as you pointed out there, as interest rates have gone up a little bit, although the mortgage rates uh, jumped up real fast, maybe your savings account hasn't seen that same speedy increase. So there are, in my mind, opportunities here to be very mindful of where some of that dormant money is laying, just because there might be a chance to still invest it safely as if it's a savings account. Again, not offering financial advice here, take this with a grain of salt, you know, saying something like a GIC where that value has gone up a little bit, where now your capital investment is safe, but you're getting a little bit more on the fr on the back end. I, I, to me, it just strikes me as a moment when it's really, really important to understand that just because you've thrown some money into an account doesn't mean you can just leave it there dormant. You always have to be a, a little bit active. How active you choose to be is up to you. But I do think that like being actively engaged in your finances really, really matters. 
There's no question about it, Dave. And, and you know, when we think about our investments, when you think about actually, so there, you know, we have savings plans and we have investment plans, right? And, and uh, we have savings accounts and we have investment accounts. And what's important is to understand your risk, your, your, sorry, your tolerance for risk your, and your time horizon. Mm. You know, if you need that money on a short term, you need ready liquid access to it right away, then, hey, you know what? Let's look at some liquid alternative that's going to make sure that there's safety of principle, but gives you a little bit extra uh, return if possible. But if you don't need that money for a long time and you want to invest it over the long term and you're okay with some volatility, then that's where we can get into deeper conversations around investing some of the vehicles out there, whether it's an exchange traded fund, a mutual fund, stocks, bonds, GICs, whatever. Um, at that point, that's where the vehicles come into yeah, play. Yeah. And that's and that's an exciting conversation in and of itself, but I think we might be diving too deep into the weeds in this conversation for that. But that's one I'd love to pick up with you on in, in, in a future segment. Absolutely, Dave. Anytime. Right on. Ryan, have a great day. Thank you for this. Hey, thank you. That's Ryan Chin, certified financial planner. Coming up next, you will meet a new community reporter on this show. It's Nathan Clement, who will give you the scoop on this year's Vancouver Fan Expo. But first, Elon Musk has changed policies at Twitter to make his posts more visible. Mike Dubusky has the story in Tech Trends. failed to garner as much attention as he expected. Suddenly, every Twitter user was seeing pretty much every single post that Elon Musk had made. Tech journalist Chris Stokel-Walker says it comes as the popularity of Musk's tweets has been waning recently. There are lots of schools of thought behind that. Uh, those within Twitter who are his engineers suggest that that might just be because people are growing tired of him. Musk has suggested the measures have since been walked back, at least in part. But Stokel-Walker says the saga is about more than just Super Bowl tweets. The idea of one person and having control of the de facto public town square is a concern, particularly when they seem willing to ignore societal norms that are expected of them. With Tech Trends, I'm Mike Dubusky, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There is a new community reporter joining the Now with Dave Brown family. It's Nathan Clement in Vancouver, BC. Hey, good morning, Nathan. Good morning, Dave. How's it going today? Not too shabby. Great to chat with you. Nathan, this is your first time on the show, so we need to begin with a little bit of an introduction here. You are a man of many interests, but you have a background in sports. What is it that you've competed in? What's your background in sports? I do. So I used to compete as a soccer player with the CP soccer program, now under the para soccer name. Then from there, I transitioned to swimming, where I competed in the Rio Paralympics in swimming, where I was a team captain and placed seventh in the 50-meter butterfly. Following that, a few years out of sport, I had this passion as I was backpacking, traveling solo around the world. I thought it'd be cool to see all these countries, all these different places I was visiting by bicycle. So I got a attraction to some distance cycling and endurance riding. And in the summer of 2020, I did a bike ride across British Columbia from Fernie, BC to Vancouver and just reconnected my competitive fires, getting me back into cycling. And now I'm competing full time with the Canadian national paracycling team. So you mentioned there have been three different sports where you were just an excellent athlete, an elite athlete. What keeps you going? What motivates you to get up every day and embrace the grind? I love the challenge. I'm very, very lucky I have. I saw a photo of my dad there. I have my dad who is an incredible cheerleader, incredible supporter, and the guy that gives the honest truth when you need it. And I have like some parents. I have family that just keeps pushing me, keeps driving me. And one thing, when I had my stroke at the age of two and a half and lost function on my left side of my body, uh, my parents were told I never walk, talk, read or write. So at that moment, it was pretty well playing with the house money, all odds against and just trying to prove what can I do despite 
what I've been told, what my family's been told from a very, very young age. What's your training schedule like? Oh, it's, it's pretty chaotic. I think I've been going now seven days a week for the last like three, four days. So today I have, uh, I have, I'm in the gym plus a bike ride. So I'm going to bike to the gym. Oh, nice. Dude, <laughs> two birds with one stone there. So get, get that out of the way, get that going. And just really, um, like going into the weekend, I think I have scheduled about 10, 11 hours on the bike. So it's going to be, uh, good time to be outdoors and hopefully hopefully the weather uh is a lot kinder than the video there <laughs> <laughs> uh nathan i was super fortunate on saturday to take part in a fundraiser for uh, para athletes an organization uh devoted to uh topping up uh the disparity between medal winners at the paralympics and the olympic games and i had a chance to uh interact with a couple different paralympians it was super cool and everybody has their own story and everybody has their own message is there a message that you drive home when you talk to non-athletic people like me about why what keeps you going and what what the importance of the paralympic movement is i i I do for for me, and I, I love that question. Thank you for asking that. Uh, it's it's at the end of the day, para sport is high performance sport, but it's so much more than that, and it's a togetherness. It's a wholeness of the community. I've been fortunate to be a part of three sports now with the para soccer when I was younger, para swimming, and now para cycling. And the one thing is that sense of community that comes through sport. We're very fortunate. I'm very fortunate to have had incredible teammates, incredible leaders. I've been able to really learn, listen from, and understand the ways to navigate sport, grow up, and really have that sense of confidence and belief to travel to get into broadcasting school, to take on various different opportunities that I would not have had if I didn't have sport, if I didn't have the opportunities of going out every day, pushing my body, pushing my mind to my max and trying to see what happens. And often not, sometimes failing, falling flat on my head as <laughs> what happens on a bike sometimes, but... <laughs> but really just taking on the challenges and pushing. And the big thing I always try to communicate to people and who are outside of the para-sport world is at the end of the day, whether you have an arm that doesn't work, a visual impairment or some sort of physical disability, this is high performance. These are people pushing their bodies to their absolute maximum for themselves, for the people around them to see what is possible and reach their dreams and reach their goals. Mm. Nathan, that's so well said. Thank you for, for sharing that. And that's an idea and a concept you and I will explore uh, probably several times uh, over the course of the next few months and next couple of years as you've joined on as a community reporter. Yeah. But speaking of what's going on around your community, the 2023 Vancouver Fan Expo is coming to town this weekend. So who are some of the stars that are going to be at this Fan Expo? Oh, we have a big list. So we have uh, Sean Astin of Lord of the Rings fame. Also recently did uh, a few years ago, Stranger Things. Uh, we also got Carl Weathers from uh, Apollo Creed, uh, who played Creed and a bunch of other roles in Aliens, Predators. One of my personal favorites, your viewers can uh, tell me if I'm wrong or not. I think one of the best written characters in all of cartoon and television, his voice actor is going to be there who played Zuko in Avatar The Last Airbender. Dante Bosco will oh, be there. Oh, wow. As well as um, we got Sarah Notchkini, who uh, was the voice of Ash Ketchum from 2006 onwards. 
and much more uh, very notable uh, actors and actresses will be there. So essentially we're talking about uh, a Vancouver's answer to Comic-Con, but we can't use that yeah. for branding reasons. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why do you think these events just draw so much passion from people? Because certainly whenever something like this comes to town, whether it's in Ottawa, Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver, the people come out for this stuff. People travel for this stuff. Well. And they and they really put the time in and they put the heart in to create these amazing costumes and amazing designs that really celebrate their love, celebrate the characters and honor the characters. I feel it's one of the, it's it's like sport, it's like any activity. If you love it, if you're passionate about it, there's a sense of community that comes from it. And with uh, the Fan Expo or Comic Con, even down in San Diego, you have people traveling all over to really celebrate the time, celebrate the effort these people have put in the film and honor the love that they've created for for people that are listening, that are viewing it. And it creates a real sense of community just through that togetherness and wholeness of everyone being there at once. Yeah, Nathan, I'm, I'm not a huge comic book fan per se, nor am I a gargantuan sci-fi fan, but I have so much respect when subcultures get together and support themselves. And certainly at this point, comic book culture and, and sci-fi culture is probably even closer to mainstream th than it used to be. But I just think it's incredible that people are able to share their passions with one another. I, I, like, like it, just, it just blows me away. And I say this out of a position of love, not out of judgment or separation, because listen, I'm going to a wrestling event in Montreal this weekend. So I, you know, I'm involved in my own level of subculture on this end too. Yeah. 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 It's cool to see, like, even, even for me, like sports, like uh, coming up, we have some major sporting events in Vancouver on the horizon, on the horizon. So for me, it's like, okay, I got to be going here. I got to be going there to do this. And it's the same for people in, uh, whatever community you're part of, whether it's comic books, wrestling, um, car racing, bird, bird watching, or even yeah, like yeah. We're, we're really lucky. We have, um, as February starts to end, March comes our way. We got the cherry blossoms and all of our flowers coming back to life. And the cherry blossoms are known in Vancouver for being a major event. So you have all these people, no matter what it is, coming together to really celebrate the changing of the seasons or what they love. Yeah, if somebody takes up sewing and loves sewing or knitting, like that's great too, you know, whatever yeah. whatever makes you tick, it's fantastic. The 2023 Vancouver Fan Expo is running from February 18th to the 20th. And for more information, you can visit fanexpovancouver.com. That's fanexpovancouver.com. Nathan, you mentioned some sports action going down and coming down the pipeline in the Vancouver area. The 2023 HSBC Rugby Sevens is coming to town next month. What are your expectations for this competition? It's going to be an incredible event. It's the first time in uh, Canada's uh, Sevens history where we're going to have the men's and the women's tournament uh, running adjacent at the same time at BC Place. So starting on uh, the Friday, we have preliminary action with the men's and women's playing, the crowds are going to be insane. If Rugby Sevens is known for one thing, whether it's the Hong Kong event, it's the Vegas event, it's the Vancouver event, the costumes are to the nines. If you think the costumes are going to be crazy at uh, the Fan Expo Vancouver, just wait till Rugby Sevens. People get dressed up, the crowds get loud, they get passionate, cheering on Canada, cheering on Fiji, cheering on all these amazing countries and athletes that are coming in for the three fastest days of sport. I, I uh, played rugby very poorly for a couple of weeks in college. Uh, I was just a big guy, and they were like, hey, big guy, why don't you play rugby for us for a little bit? Uh, so I gave it a crack. I wasn't particularly good. But, Nathan, you mentioned those costumes as part of the traditions. Rugby just has some really neat traditions. Like, like how, how do you think tradition sometimes plays into the way in which a sport is received by either the players or the fans? I, I feel tradition has a very, very important role where it's like, where it's a new discipline, rugby sevens, which is a lot different than rugby 15 or rugby league, rugby union. And it's cool that rugby sevens is kind of creating its own new traditions while honoring the old traditions of rugby as well, because rugby is such a historic time honored game in Europe over here throughout the world. 
And it's great to have a new spin that's really drawn on it. I know uh, for myself, I have a younger brother who played rugby sevens and I love watching him play rugby, rugby in high school, the 15 asides, but seeing rugby sevens, seeing that take place and just seeing the intricacies of that game, the speed yeah. and just how it's changing and revolutionizing rugby in a way. It's really great to see the kind of changes and additions to the already strong and prominent culture, like, like any sport, football, swimming, hockey, there's times for when cultures need to change and cultures need to build and make differences. And I feel with rugby and the rugby sevens event really keep adding to that storied history of rugby and adding great new things to it. So the 2020, 2023 HSBC Rugby Sevens tournament runs from March the 3rd to 5th in Vancouver. And for more details, you can contact 604-355-5330 or tickets at canadasevens.com. Tickets at canadasevens.com. Hey, uh, Nathan, thank you for this. Great to chat with you for your first community report. Cannot wait to catch up with you again in a couple weeks. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for having me on and pleasure to meet all the listeners. That is Nathan Clement, community reporter in Vancouver, BC. If you want more information about the stories we discovered, especially when it comes to links and dates and all that important stuff, you can head over to the blog ami.ca slash now, ami.ca slash now. Let's wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. Going back to the world of federal politics, some members of parliament say they have no idea how to spot foreign interference and they're asking Canada's spy agency for advice. Lori Paris has more. CESA says all elected officials and candidates in elections are targets for hostile states. But MPs with both the Liberals and New Democrats say they don't know how to actually detect someone acting on behalf of a foreign state. CESA's publishes guides that hint generally that foreign actors try to target politicians for information. And the agency advises MPs to report any harassments or threats. The agency has also offered briefings to some MPs and senators, but there is no general training open to all parliamentarians. One national security expert says CSIS might not understand the daily lives of an MP and how to best help them spot and navigate risks. Laurie Paris, The Canadian Press. And one more story for you. American casinos had a very profitable year. Brian Clark counts the chips. Americans may have been feeling lucky last year, but it was the casinos that came out on top. The American Gaming Association says commercial casinos in the U.S. won over $60 billion last year from gamblers. That's up almost 14% from the year before. The trade group's vice president said the impact was almost the equivalent of adding another Las Vegas strip. And this number does not include tribal casinos, which report their numbers separately. The top two gambling markets in the country last year were Las Vegas, and Atlantic City. Brian Clark, ABC News. Oh, I love me a trip to an American casino. Let's hop on the plane right now, go down to Vegas, and I can make a charitable donation to the uh, good people of Caesars Entertainment Group. Remember, if you ever hear something on the show that uh, rubs you the right way or rubs you the wrong way, I want to hear about it. You can always reach out to the show via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca. You can find AMI on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible Media Inc., on Twitter and TikTok at Accessible Media, or you can pick up the phone and give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545, 1-866-509-4545. You should do that. In fact, what are you doing during this next commercial break? You should be calling now with Dave Brown and sounding off and giving your hot take, 1-866-509-4545. While we're on commercial break, you can prepare for a regional news chat, no, regional news update, and a sports chat with Brock Richardson. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. 
watch The Pulse on YouTube, or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.